reading per se and um this has been recorded today uh and we got a lovely speaker kaylee so uh instead of a reading i do a limerick for the person which is uh is how it goes the speaker is a legend to me she's from ireland and her name is kaylee p i first heard her on the beyond belief podcast i wonder what's her opinion on bookfest i hope to meet her someday for a coffee or a tea and I'm going to mute myself, Kaylee, as long as you want, about whatever you want. And thank you so much again for doing this. All right. Can you hear me? Alcoholic addict. And um, that was a good limerick. Thanks. <laughs> um, I don't like book fast. Book fast is really sweet. And I had many a night where I woke up not knowing where I was on Bookfast. So yeah, not so good. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I, I haven't done a chair for a long time. I was just saying to the guys there two years. Um, but I'm really grateful to be asked today. It's actually nice to be sort of encouraged to go to a meeting because um, I had made a commitment to do the chair so I couldn't just change my mind. Um, I'm not a big fan of online meetings, but that's just that's just my thing. I like going to meetings. I like the people that I see there, and um, uh, I kind of miss that this year. This year, this year is the last twelve months or whatever have been tricky, you know, um, for a lot of us because we can't go. So I really should be more grateful that we have online. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I'm I'm rambling there, but um, I'm six years sober. Um, I got sober after a couple of years of just absolute insanity um just constant drinking and then um self-medicating through sedatives and things like that um and it got it got dangerous you know there's a lot of hospitalizations the usual stuff that people um in the rooms understand you know um I, I'm not I don't need to go into all of the mental mental stuff that happened but suffice to say I couldn't not drink you know um couldn't not drink I had to drink I had to drink all the time I had to drug all the time and I couldn't function without it um until I just couldn't function at all so you know I lost my job um I ended up having seizures from trying to stop drinking myself um I couldn't get past a day without drinking and uh I checked myself into uh to rehab then eventually um and I think what what changed it for me is that my uncle, who was only a couple of years older than me, we were really close in age. Um, he died in a relapse about uh, four or five months before I got sober. Um, and he'd been sober for about two years and we all thought he was doing really well and looked really well and all that kind of thing. But he he relapsed and the night he relapsed, he died. And my drinking after that spiraled completely um, because it scared me that this guy had died, but also I knew that I was just like him. And I kind of resigned myself to the fact that, okay, well, this is just gonna kill me. I can't help it. I'm just gonna keep going until, until I'm dead. And, you know, there'd be nights where I'd down a bottle of wine or two or three and uh, sleeping tablets on top of it and I think to myself I might not wake up from this but I lost the, the ability to care about myself that way I just 
I, I just couldn't stop. Um, <clears throat> but October that year, something happened. I had a moment of clarity. People in the rooms call it that. Um, what's that thing that they call it? I, I, I'm so long out of the religious meetings that I forget the words that they use, but it's like this kind of higher power thing that they say happens to them. Um, but it, for me, it was just a moment of clarity where I was able to ring uh, a rehab centre and get myself in their ASAP. Um, and I think if I hadn't done it at that moment, you know, a few hours might have passed and I would have just been like, oh, whatever. And I'd gone back to drinking, you know, there, there was no way I was going to hold on to that moment of clarity. But it got me in the door to a rehab centre in Mayo, um, the west of Ireland. And that was the start of, of sobriety for me, you know. Um, and I was very reluctant when I got there because I, when I rang this place, I didn't realise it was run by nuns. And I'm very anti-nun. <laughs> and I don't like the church and I don't like any of that stuff. And I, I really am, you know, I, I, I recoil from all that kind of thing. Um, but they were really nice and all that kind of stuff. But it was more the counsellors that kept me there. Um, maybe particularly the counsellor I got. He didn't insist on the big book. He didn't insist on the religious stuff. He didn't insist on the prayers or the meditation. Um, I got the impression from him that he was probably quite, you know, atheistic himself, you know, but couldn't maybe say it in his professional environment. But it was much more rational conversation, logical conversation, um, talk of, you know, the brain and how it's hijacked in addiction and um, the science behind it and thing. And that that's what that's what I can relate to. That's what makes sense to me. So having somebody who could speak my language, who was also an addict who had been sober and was also helping me try and get sober, all those things lined up for me. Um, I ended up staying for forty days, and I went for two years weekly aftercare after that um and you know I I did leave rehab and and um I left it feeling like you know I've got this and everything's going to be much easier from now on and you know this is the biggest problem in my life and I'm solving it and this is fantastic um and there was kind of like a honeymoon period probably for the first year maybe a little bit less than a year where I'd be going to meetings all the time, meeting all these people. It's all this coffee stuff and just kind of enjoying the freedom of not having to drink because that, that, that is a huge weight that gets lifted off you, I think. Um, and it was for me. But, you know, everything's sunny <laughs> when you're sober initially. Um, and of course, you know, life has its challenges and I, I wasn't really tested in the first year. Um so I, I kind of thought, oh, this is, I can do this. I can stay sober. I'm, I'm, I'm happy, you know, this is great. And this is much better, but you know, everyone has stuff that's going to happen in their lives and, and they're what the triggers are, you know, that's what we call the triggers or, you know, uh, it could be a death. It could be an illness. It could be loads of different things. It could be financial difficulty, marital stress, loads of different things. And they're the things that test you. Um, and of course by year two, everything came back down to earth for me. Um, and I had to face a lot of stuff that would be difficult for somebody who wasn't trying to stay sober. Um, and it was just, uh, some of it was just real life stuff, like, you know, 
struggling to pay bills and normal stuff like that stresses um but there were some really big things that happened too um I ended up losing an organ in the second year I have Crohn's disease and part of the reason I initially started drinking and you know taking opiates and stuff was to pain relief uh, pain relief that kind of thing but um yeah that was a big that was a big thing I wasn't dealing with and partially because I was so locked up in drinking I hadn't been treating the Crohn's disease the way medically properly I hadn't been going to my appointments for years I hadn't been you know maybe taking the medication I was supposed to take to keep my disease in some sort of check or stop it from progressing so by the time year two came my insides were really bad and part of it wasn't my fault it is a kind of genetic disease but part of it was because I had neglected my body for so long and that was a really hard reality check for me that I felt like I hadn't had that many consequences for my drinking except maybe just personally and, and for my own just for me and my, my my marriage but this was the biggest consequence and I kind of went into a depressive spiral then um, a lot of self-hate and self-loathing and kicking myself and why did you do this and you know this is all your fault and I ended up living with um, an ostomy bag so I had all of that stuff as well you know to try and uh, get used to but one thing I didn't do uh, is I didn't think about picking up a drink and it's looking at it now I'm thinking okay you know I kicked myself around for a while about that um, undoubtedly my addiction and my my getting lost in addiction did um, play a big part in the deterioration of my disease but at the same time addiction is a disease as well so there's only a certain level I can blame myself there too you know I, uh, it's it's a tricky one I've I've talked to counsellors a lot about this so it's it's a tricky one for me some days I, I feel really low about it but um uh I think actually I'm I'm glad that the first year was so you know quote unquote easy because it gave me some sort of solid foundation in sobriety um you know a, a bit a bit of a run-in where thinking about drinking every day was no longer you know something I was just trying to get through it was becoming more natural not to drink every day so that big issue you know uh, wasn't there anymore I think if I had gotten really sick in my first year of sobriety especially in the first early months I'm not sure I would have been able to not pick up a drink because I would have been too fresh you know from my last drink um so you know it's just funny when you look back and you think okay you know I don't believe everything happens for a reason I don't I'm not one of those people but uh I am very glad that it happened the way it did um so I got I, you know I got through that there was loads of surgeries there was all this stuff going on um and I just thought okay well if that's the worst thing that happens you know keep going keep going to your meetings all that kind of stuff and um and then you know I ended up having a miscarriage um my husband and I've been married for 12 years and we've been trying for a long time um, I think the drinking kind of got in the way of that, as you can imagine. And I'm also glad I didn't become a mother in my addiction. But um, it was a huge thing when I got pregnant. I was so happy. It was it was just, yay, finally. And that knocked me for six then, you know, losing losing the baby. And I ended up going back to the rehab centre. At this stage, I was uh, four years sober at this stage. I hadn't been there in a couple of years. 
But I went back and I, I said to the counsellor I'd been with, like, why am I finding life so hard? You know, um, I've been sober a long time and I still fall apart when anything happens. You know, I feel so weak and just so, you know, is there something wrong with me as a person that I'm just weak, that anything that happens to me, I fall apart. You know, I used to fall apart into a bottle and now I'm just falling apart <laughs> and I don't have any crutch and it's, I don't know what to do with myself, you know? And he was, he was great. He was really like logical about it. He knew a lot of my flaws and my, my character defects and all that stuff too. So he could point out the stuff that was irrational and I need to work on, but he could also point out the fact that I was not just an addict, alcoholic trying to live. I was a human being and this was just normal reaction to loss and grief and all that kind of thing and to go a little bit easier on myself um and that you know those are the first um experiences I've had in recovery where you you're talking to somebody who is balanced in how they approach you um I suppose in AA for the first couple of years that I was going it was very militant you know it was very um if anything goes wrong it's because you're not working the book properly it's because you're not praying it's because you're not doing the things you know if you're unhappy it's it's on you there's something that's wrong with you or the way you're doing things and and you know that does get absorbed especially when you're young in the rooms um so there was something nice and balanced about you know being able to take accountability for your own bullshit but also treat yourself as a human being um and I tried to uh you know when people came to me for help after that I tried to to balance it as well you know because it, it can be easy in the early days to mimic the hardliners and be like you know if you're struggling at the moment it's because you're not handing over and, and you know do all the same regurgitation of the same stuff and it's not a very empathetic way of being um I think you can lose yourself in the whole I'm Kaylee I'm an alcoholic and forget that you're I'm Kaylee I'm a human as well you know um it's not all you are and, and that was a big lesson for me um and it, it, it helped me not to drink that time, you know, it helped me not to drink. And I, I kept, I just kept going, kept going. And, um, and ever since then, I've seen myself more as a human than an al alcoholic. I'm, I'm somebody who can't drink because I'm wired in a way that means that that will just destroy my life. I can't drink like my next door neighbor can drink who can have a few glasses of wine and be fine and have a giggle and be fine I wish I could just for the sake of normal social interactions I wish I could but I can't it's it's not for me you know um and I can't take drugs I can't take certain prescription medication because like that I can't stop and there's never enough and I, that feeling of sedation and that feeling of shutting my brain off uh become something that's nearly compulsive that I have to keep taking more and more you know so I know that about myself but put all that aside that being dealt with I just want to live my life you know um and I, I like not not being totally identified as just an alcoholic you know um there's no shame in being an alcoholic I I absolutely disagree with anybody who has something bad to say about somebody with an addiction um but it just label somebody as one thing you know and, and I labeled myself as one thing for a long time too 
Um, and it's kind of freeing to to remember that you're just one. It's just one of the flaw, um, or not even a flaw. A flaw seems so negative, but it's just it's just something about me and my makeup. You know, um, like I'm an impatient person. Um, I'm lots of things that are bad. You know, um, and you can work on all of them. Uh, anything destructive about yourself, you can work on. So yeah, I mean, but after the miscarriage like I said that's when I felt like treating myself more as a human being who was dealing with a, a, a disease say you know and, and doing really well at dealing with it um but I was getting very fed up with the god talk in the rooms and I was connecting less in the rooms and I was just I just wasn't getting much from the meetings because it was all god stuff from the moment you walk in and the meeting actually opens and it's, you know, most meetings in Ireland start with how it works. And, you know, that's, I don't know how many times God has mentioned that, but it's a lot. And, you know, um, the insistence on sponsorship and the insistence on praying and the praying at the end of the meeting, the praying at the beginning of the meeting, all of that stuff. And then people sharing, you know, sounding more like they're reading off a script. It just wasn't hitting me anymore. You know, I wasn't listening to people talk Honestly, I was just listening to the same people talk about the same higher power stuff. And I I, I kind of said to my husband, I, I, I think I'll leave AA. I'm, I'm fed up with it. You know, I've been going for months, the last few months, and I'm coming out mentally worse than when I went in. And, you know, it took me a while to figure out what it was exactly. And, and a lot of it was the God stuff. A lot of it was the higher power spirituality stuff. Um, and my husband said, well, you know, maybe there's other people in AA like you. Don't give up on it. He was, he didn't want me to give up on it because I'd done so well in it, you know, uh, understandably he didn't want me sliding back. So I said, okay, well, look, I'll Google, I'll see, you know. And of course there was nothing in Ireland. There was nothing in Ireland for atheists or agnostics or Muslims or, you know, there was just, it was all the same, same formula stuff. Um, and I had no, idea how I'd find even just an individual member who might feel like I did you know it's kind of something that I was afraid to bring up in the rooms because I didn't want to be admonished and told that you know read the chapter to the agnostics or something you know and I didn't want all that stuff you know so but I found AA Beyond Belief and that's run by a guy called John and he is in Kansas I think um and I just found this one night and it, it was, he, he records podcasts with members of AA who are mostly agnostic atheist, you know, some have some sort of spirituality, some whatever, but mostly agnostic atheist. And he records their stories and he records like the steps um, from the point of view of an agnostic or an atheist person and all this. And I think I spent like a whole night just going through months and months of podcasts and listening to them and you know starting to feel very fond of the people in the podcast even though I didn't know who they were uh, you know feeling like oh I, I really like that Ben guy you know or you know I really just feeling like I used to feel in the meetings initially you know that feeling of belonging and um understanding that person and then knowing that they would understand me you know um and I got into contact with them all and I, I, you know, started talking to them on Facebook and got really involved with all that kind of thing. And eventually John asked me to do a podcast for him. I think it was the first Irish one. Um, I think there's been a couple of Irish since then. Um, and he encouraged me to set up 
a meeting in Ireland for atheists, basically. So that's what I did. You know, I, I set that up and then I did the podcast with them and I met these amazing people in Ireland um, just from advertising it on that podcast. It was called the Free Thinkers of AA. Um, and I ended up like attracting these people who had been in AA for decades um, some of them had been openly atheist in the rooms for decades and some of them hadn't some of them had never said it in a room that actually I don't really believe in the God stuff and they just sort of qu- stayed quiet um, didn't complain you know but been going for like 30 years to meetings and this grating on them and you know maybe not getting the whole thing and we met up in Dublin for the first meeting and it was absolutely packed it the room was we, we it, there were one of the members his name is Brian he's um a guy in his I think he's early 70s now actually and uh he's sober a long time and he's a counsellor and he's in Dublin he gave us his room and I you know turned up I was going to do chair of the day and you know obviously I was I was organizing it so we were just going to see how many people turned up and this room that might fit like 10 people there were people out in the hall we couldn't fit them all in and I was it was just the most amazing feeling and every single one of them was uh, a member of AA for like you know six months or 40 years you know went from one extreme to the other and every single one of them was agnostic at the very least you know um but still managed to work a program maybe um in a way that made sense to them or stay so but most importantly stay sober that's that's the thing that matters most to me and it was just the most liberating feeling, you know, it was just amazing. Um, and I've met some of my closest friends through, through that particular, uh, from that first day. Um, and Annie, I think some of you know her. Um, it turned out that there was a meeting in Dublin. And Annie will tell you herself, she, she wasn't very tech savvy and she wasn't on the internet or anything like that. So it was hard to find them. Um, it was kind of a word of mouth thing. Um, so I found out that first day that there actually was a We Agnostics meeting in Molesworth Street and this lady called Annie ran it. So I went, al- I went along to that and ended up meeting all these other people as well. It was amazing. It was just, you know, I think one of the biggest conversations um, that I've taken from meetings like that is not that it's an us versus them kind of thing, but that there is actually room for everybody in AA and that's not always the message you get in the traditional meeting um there is a kind of a feeling of if you don't conform you're gonna die kind of thing and it's a bit extreme um but I like the idea of there being an umbrella um and the thing we have in common is that we can't drink normally you know that's that's the thing we have in common or you know we can't drug or we loads of different things maybe we can't gamble all that kind of stuff ultimately addiction is is the common ground and everything else is just whatever what is is personal as far as I'm concerned and I love it I I love the more open welcoming feeling that I have gotten from you know more agnostic or free thinking meetings um and I think that's what kept me in AA because I, I I do think I would have gone otherwise I don't think I would have stuck around um you know, I have really good member um, friends from traditional meetings, but I still, even the ones I know really well since day one, um, 
I can talk to them on the same level as I would in a free thinking meeting, you know. Um, and it just, it seems to be growing in this country and we are Holy Catholic Ireland still, no matter what. Um, so that's that's encouraging. Um, but yeah, so as you know, anyway, I've, lots of things have changed. I've had my... Uh, my child, uh, who I've been waiting for for a long time, I'm so grateful that I'm sober as a mom. You know, every day, actually, I think that comes into my mind, just that feeling of being present um, and being reliable and focused on this other person. You know, I know what I was like in my addiction. There was no way I could have been the type of mother I am now uh, or the type of mother I would want to be, you know. Um, and I'm just, I'm grateful to myself. Uh, I, that that sounds really, I don't know what the word is, but it, it sounds a bit off to say that, but I am actually grateful to myself because I can't say I'm grateful to a higher power. Um, I don't believe in any of that, but I'm grateful to myself for making the decision and sticking with it. And I'm really grateful for the support that I've had around me. You know, that that's what I'm grateful for, you know, and I think uh, a lot of people got me here um but ultimately it was it was me who who stuck it out you know and um there is power in that you know um and I think you can come in and into the rooms and feel like you're nothing but you're not nothing if you're in the room you've made a really good decision for yourself you know um and that should be you should commend yourself for that and you should continue to do it you know um, treat yourself like you'd want to treat other, like we'd want other people to treat you you know um, a lot of it is being kind to yourself and and I I know for me caring for myself and addiction just wasn't even in my mind so it's quite freeing but thinking of drinking now I don't I, I don't know the last time I thought about it Christmas wasn't hard you know all that kind of thing that seemed impossible the first time the first couple of years that feeling that loss of like missing out at Christmas and drinking all that it just doesn't even come into my mind now it's such a natural thing not to drink I can be in a room with a whole lot of people drinking it just doesn't bother me um which is mad you know it's 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 mad for an alcoholic to get to that point I think um but it's it is brilliant uh, it does it does for me the addiction side of things it does just keep getting better the longer you're around um but now I suppose my life is mo is mostly focused on helping other people um I suppose when I was drinking and drugging I couldn't uh focus on the underlying reasons and the underlying causes of why I was compulsively drinking um and one thing I've learned from my studies and from my work is that uh a lot of the times abuse and trauma is the root of addiction um and I work with a lot of uh people in addiction and out of addiction who who are now working on their trauma and their underlying issues um for me I could never have worked on that stuff until I got myself sober you know you can't, I couldn't have done the two simultaneously it took a while had to get well so that I could deal with the real issues um now I'm the head of child sex abuse at the victims alliance in Ireland um 
and we're like a, a lobbying group. We we work on changing laws and um, holding certain people to account in in our child services and things like that. Um, and we were, do a lot of work on mother and baby homes and, um, you know, laundry survivors and um, church abuse survivors. Um, really, really tough stuff. And, and there are a lot of addicts in that. There are a lot of addicts in that. And trauma is the root for me. For a lot of people, trauma is the root. I can't say for everyone because I can't speak for everyone. But, you know, it's crazy. Um, since I started this, this job, and I made it public on, on my Facebook and that the AA members that I've known since day one, um, I've had so many people contact me and say, you know what, I I actually was abused as a child or or I have experience of this or, you know, um, and they're starting to link that up, you know, to to how they got into drinking so much and, and why it ended up being a, a Band-Aid. It's fascinating. It's really sad. We're a very traumatized country. Um, we have quite a long way to go. Uh, it's not surprising that Ireland is, is has such a high percentage of uh, alcohol abuse. And that's kind of my goal. You know, I have a soft spot for the people who come to me looking for help who are also in either in addiction or in recovery, because obviously, you know, I just understand them. Um, I just feel so grateful to be in a position where I can be doing something positive. You know, I never would have gone down this line of work before. Um, and I'm grateful I stuck with AA. I'm, I'm glad that I, I found the agnostic ones, you know, and I found people who could get sober, stay sober in AA without um, doing the stuff that you're told you have to do <laughs> until you die, you know. Um, it's just, it's just, I think community for me is the biggest thing. You know, it's just talking to like-minded people, um, talking to people who are struggling or not struggling or who have struggled and can talk you through your struggle. There's something lovely about community, you know. Um, and I think this is like a, it's like a help group nearly, isn't it? It's, it's I don't know why AA works for me because I, I, the big book just doesn't talk to me at all, but it's just people, people helping people as far as I'm concerned. I think we have great power. Um, I hope that most of that made sense because I've kind of rambled a little bit there and like I said it's been a while since I did a chair even talk to adults I've been in for the whole lockdown just been in a house with a two-year-old so I don't even know if any of that made sense um, but I think I'll leave it there because I, I could see myself rambling for a little bit too long is that all right? Yeah, great stuff thank you so much Kayla